probably have noticed by now uh, that life is not always easy. Right? <laughs> you know, sometimes, um, sometimes you get the job, and then sometimes you lose it. Uh, sometimes she says yes. Other times it doesn't quite work out. Sometimes things are going great between you. And then other times you feel like you can just hardly get along. Sometimes you are healthy and full of energy and life. And other times you feel sick and like you can hardly make it. Sometimes you are successful in your quest, your mission, your direction. Other times the quest seems to defeat you. Sometimes you have really clear direction about what God wants you to do next and what is next for me. And other times you feel like you're just wandering, or maybe the better word is stumbling, in the dark. So whether it's job loss, a diagnosis, a breakup, a conflict, a habit, a struggle, a circumstance, or not knowing what's next, there are things in life that, let's just be honest, can cause us to lose heart. To lose heart. And it's the kind of um, circumstances that, that really begin to uh, raise all kinds of questions in your mind. Uh, and, and questions like, does God even care? Or how could you allow this? Or, or God, where are you? Uh, are you there at all? And, and so sometimes the circumstances, the situations of life... Uh, can lead us to believe that we have fallen out of the the providence of God, the care of God, uh, that God is not even there in your life, and it can be easy in those moments to lose heart. This is week three in a series that we're calling Heart Matters. Uh, we are doing a series on the heart in the during Christmas time because uh, Christmas is one of the most emotional times of the year. And culturally, the heart is understood as being the center of our emotions. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity this Christmas to look at scripturally and biblically what is the heart. And so uh, for the last two weeks and then today and uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at a topical study of the heart in scripture. In the first week, we, we learned that the heart is absolutely central, uh, that the, the Greek word uh, is Cardia. It is the seat of our emotions, the appetites, our desires, our motivations, our thoughts. Uh, everything uh, in our life flows from our heart. That is to say uh, that we can't help but live from our hearts. Uh, sometimes we are, are, are told in a Christian setting or even a cultural setting that we need to do, uh, we need to do better living from the heart. That's actually a misnomer uh, because everything that we do flows from the condition of our heart. Uh, every attitude you have, every perception, every thought, uh, if those things are aligned with the kingdom of God, then your heart is in good condition. If there's ever a time where those things wander from what God would, would want, then, then really it's not just uh, I need to modify my behavior, it's I need to look at my heart and what is causing uh, that, those behaviors as they flow from my heart. And so since all of life flows from our heart and we can't help but live from our heart and the heart is absolutely central, then the wisdom of our theme verse found in Proverbs 4.23 comes very clear. 
We need to guard our hearts. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. Well, last week we talked about this, uh, this cliche a lot that is thrown around in, in Christianity or uh, in, in Bible studies a lot. Or maybe you and your accountability partner are, are talking and you have a mentor that often says, man, you just need to guard your heart. And uh, we talked about that and we tried to unpack that of what that really means. What does it mean to guard your heart? And, and what we came to realize last week is that guarding your heart isn't building walls around our heart. But rather, it is being attentive to our hearts and allowing God to guard our hearts through prayer. Uh, and being attentive was this idea that, that, that we need to, when, when situations of life come to us, uh, wh- whether the, sometimes they're in our control, sometimes they're beyond our control, but whatever circumstance we find ourselves in life, we need to, to be attentive to our heart. And that is to say, how is this situation affecting my heart? Are there lies that my heart is now tempted to believe? Okay, I lost my job. What does that have to say about me? Is my heart wandering away from what God says about me? Uh, is there a lie sneaking in? That's attentiveness to my heart. It's beginning to ask myself, how does this situation in life affect my heart? Not, not how does this situation, not can I, can I just pray for God to end the situation? Not can I just pray for, for things to be different, but, but God in the middle of this situation, what's happening in my heart? And, and I encouraged us last week, uh, I made a connection between this, this guarding of our hearts in prayer uh, because of what Paul says. He says that if we'll bring our, our petitions our request to God with thanksgiving, then the peace of God will guard our hearts for us. And so, so many times in, in, uh, in this idea of guarding our hearts, we, we see that we, we, we picture that guarding our hearts is sort of this, this mindset or this posture of taking up arms when, when actually guarding our hearts is more a posture of hitting our knees and asking God uh, to guard our hearts for us. As the, as the trustworthy and good watchman over our hearts. Um, that's what we talked about. Because, and here's one of the key phrases from last week. Prayer is telling God what we want so he can tell our hearts what we truly need. Prayer is coming to God and telling him what we want so that he can tell our hearts what we truly need. Um, and so today, as we, as we walk along this progression of studying the heart, uh, I want to talk about what happens when we lose heart. Uh, when those situations, when those circumstances, when those uh, losses in life uh, begin to uh, come at us in such a way that we begin to feel, I don't even know if I can go on. Um, because the reality is that in the midst of the struggle, if we're, if we're attentive to our hearts as we should be, Sometimes that attentiveness causes us to realize we've lost heart, right? I'm in this situation, I'm in this circumstance, I'm, I'm in this place in life, I'm in this season, and I'm supposed to be attentive to my heart, and so I'm listening to my heart, and I'm asking all kinds of deep questions about what's going on in my heart, and at the end of the day, I realize that I just don't have any motivation to go on. I've lost heart. Sometimes that's where our attentiveness leads us to. And if the heart is the center of the emotion and the desire and our motivations and all of these things and our thoughts, then losing heart means losing hope, giving up, losing motivation, entering into apathy or being apathetic, and wondering if there's any reason to continue on. Have you been there? 
I certainly have. I don't know if you're there today or not. I mean, you, you may be like, man, I, I'm having a great Christmas season, and I came in here with all like a chipper heart, and now you're telling me that I, I'm a lost heart. You know, like, okay, that's not helpful. I thought church was supposed to be encouraging. Well, well, listen, I, I just want to speak truth into your life. So whether you're there today or not, you will be there sometime, right? None of us really know what the future holds. And so whether you're there today or not, I want to, I want to speak to you uh, about a powerful passage uh, because in our passage today, the Apostle Paul has every reason to lose heart or has every reason to have already lost heart. And yet he talks to the church in Corinth about the reasons why he does not. He has every reason in the world to lose heart. And yet he shares a message with the Corinthian church that says, and yet I do not lose heart. I want to talk to you today uh, about those situations that would tempt us to lose heart and the truth and the hope of the gospel that allows us not to lose heart. And so I want to encourage you today. uh, And I hope that the word of God lifts you up. And I believe that God wants to speak to many of you this morning uh, because the reality is, is that the holidays have the most potential for being a wonderful time of the year. But they also have the greatest potential for being one of the most difficult times of the year. Right? I mean, if we have family and loved ones that, that we're in good relationship with, then, then, then gathering around the table at Christmas can be wonderful. But if we've lost someone or our family is in discord, uh, then gathering around the Christmas table and seeing the empty seats or seeing the people that I'm alienated with across the table can be one of the most difficult times of the year. And so I want to, as we work into this study, I want to pray, and then I'll read our passage, and we'll get started this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we sense your presence here with us this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together to study your word, and I pray now that in these few moments together as we open up uh, your scripture, Lord, that you would speak to us. And I pray that every person here, whether they're in a time and season of their life where they uh, are feeling like they have lost heart, or, or whether they... Uh, are just experiencing your goodness, your grace, your blessing in this season, Lord. Uh, We ask that uh, your word would speak to all of us uh, this morning as we open it together. Uh, And God, as I do my best to communicate your truth, I pray that you would translate my words uh, into precisely what each person needs to hear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, I want to start reading in verse 7. Uh, and read all the way through 18. Uh, and then uh, right after that, we're going to get a little bit of a context. And I want to read another passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians uh, just to help us with a little bit of what's going on. Uh, but, but our main text for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 7 all the way down to 18. Uh, you can follow along with me on the screens, uh, on your screens, or the Bibles uh, in front of you, however you choose. Uh, it says this, Uh, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. For we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, 
Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. For it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. And all this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. For though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, the the immediate context of this passage is Paul is talking about his ministry uh, as he goes around uh, in Asia Minor, ancient Asia Minor, planting and beginning churches. He's talking about the nature of his ministry. And so when he talks about being crushed and destroyed and persecuted, he's not really coming up with adjectives uh, that would describe difficult circumstances that he knows nothing of. Nor is he just a preacher or or a writer that is just trying to come up with adjectives that would describe the circumstances of the people that he's speaking to. But rather what Paul is doing when he talks about being persecuted and crushed and destroyed is he's actually talking about his own personal experience he's saying look whatever you're going through I've also gone through something similar these are very real and very personal words for the apostle Paul as he's speaking to the church in Corinth and in fact let's just turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and look at verses 23 through 28 Uh, These are some of the reasons that Paul has in his ministry to lose heart. These are some of his exact circumstances that he is either going through or has gone through uh, that would lead anyone to believe that he has either lost heart or has every reason to lose heart. It says this, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23, we'll read through 28. It says this, Are they servants of Christ? For I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked and I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. This is what Paul is talking about in part when he talks about being crushed and perplexed and in despair. All of these kinds of things are very real words for him, very real circumstances. Because maybe maybe you didn't realize, but Paul received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times. This, by the way, is the same beating that Jesus received 
before his crucifixion. And Paul went through it three times. In addition to everything else, I mean, you want to talk about difficulty. Every reason to give up, lose hope, be apathetic, who cares, lose heart. This is what Paul was facing as he ministered to the churches and as he planted churches. And yet, at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, when he's talking to the church about his ministry, he says, we do not lose heart. Now, if you're anything like me, you want to ask the question, how in the world is that possible? Right? I mean, like, like I've lived a pretty blessed life. I mean, I've had some troubles and some challenges and some hiccups here and there, but nothing like what's being described here. And I got to be honest, in the times of struggle and challenge and, and hiccups, I'm pretty, pretty quick to lose heart. I'm pretty quick to be discouraged. And so we have Paul, having experienced all this, says we do not lose heart. And I just want to ask the question, how is that possible given what he has gone through? And I believe that this passage that we've read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 helps to address the why or the how does he not lose heart. And he, first he begins to proclaim this. In the very beginning of, what, of the passage that we read, he proclaims that, that the power to walk through any difficulty is, not from, uh, is from God and not from us. That the power to walk through any challenge or through any difficulty in your life is from God and not from you. Um, I think that's a really important thing for us to realize. Because a lot of times in the midst of difficulty and challenge, we're so quick to begin uh, blaming God and asking questions and doubting God and And look, it's okay for you to be honest with God. And it's okay for you to pray and say, God, I don't know what you're doing here. I can't believe you've allowed this or any of this kind of stuff. God can handle your honesty. But at the same time, we've got to come to a realization uh, that it's so easy for us to turn our back on God in the midst of difficulty in, in blaming him when, in fact, it's actually through his power that we'll be able to walk through that difficulty. Are you with me? I think that's a really important thing for us to realize. And that's what, that's what Paul says right from the very beginning, that this all-surpassing power that we have is really from God. It's not from us. Don't misunderstand this, right? As you, as you experience our ministry and as you're blessed by our ministry and as you see what's going on in my life and as you witness all of these things, don't, don't raise me up. Don't misunderstand to put me on a pedestal. You've got to realize that any power that is experienced or expressed in my life is simply coming from another source. I'm not the source of the strength that I have. That's what Paul is essentially saying. He's saying, look, I've been hard pressed, but because of God, I'm not crushed. I've been perplexed and confused, but because of God, I'm not in despair. I've been persecuted. I have been beaten. I have experienced all of these things, but because of God, I haven't been abandoned. And man, we need to hear that in our circumstance, don't we? We need to hear that that I may be going through this, but because of God, I haven't been abandoned. That God is still with me in the middle of the loss, in the middle of the circumstance, in the middle of that difficulty, in the middle of being confused and directionless, in the middle of my life just trying to find my way through the dark. 
where, where I don't know what God wants for me next or what, ha- what he has for me next, and he seems to be silent, we need to hear that in the middle of all these circumstances, whatever adjective you feel, you can, uh, you can add to that, but because of Christ, I'm not abandoned. I haven't been left alone. I haven't been out left, left, left to, to hang dry. I haven't been able, any of those things. God is still with me. I've been struck down. I've been beat, but because of God, I haven't been destroyed. There is strength still left because the source of my strength is without limit. Oh, come on, that's good. Right, and I think so many times, we, either in our own life, we, we we feel like things are humming along pretty good, and we like to think, "Man, I got all the, I got, I got strength on my own. I can just kind of handle this." God, why don't you take a break? You know, uh, just I, I got this. Don't I can handle it? All these kinds of things, and it's this it's this sense of which Paul just says, "Whatever, whatever power or strength you see expressed in my life is simply because I am a conduit." Of the power of God. It's the power of God coming to me so that it can go through me. That's what it's like. That's the, that's the first thing that Paul says. How in the world can you not lose heart in the middle of what you've done? Well, because the source of the strength to walk through this is not on my own, but it's coming from Christ. That's really important. So, Now, Paul builds on this idea in a rather perplexing way. He says, uh, actually, this, this statement that he makes is, is not just puzzling. It's a little bit disturbing. Uh, and I wonder if you caught it while I was reading. He, he says this, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Um, what? Right? You carry the death you carry around the death of Jesus? Awesome. Let me know how that goes. Right? I mean, it's just like, what are you talking about, right? I mean, but 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 let's unpack that of, of what it means. Uh, because I, I think that we need to realize that Jesus' life was very, very similar to yours and to mine. In other words, it had struggle and, and, and circumstances and situations and loss and, and despair and, and rejection. All of these things that you and I experience, Jesus also experienced. But, but when we think about the life of Jesus, you, you probably don't think of, of struggle except for the cross, right? If you're anything like me, it's like, Jesus, we, we talk about Jesus' uh, sinless and perfect life. And sometimes we, we misunderstand sinless and perfect to mean easy, right? And, and so sometimes we just sort of like think that Jesus floated, you know, like six inches off the ground and like never had anything difficult happen. And then he just sort of like walked to the cross and, and, and had, went through this horrible thing for my behalf so that I can be saved. Yay, Jesus, Right? But, but when we look at the life of Jesus, we actually realize that he went through all sorts of, 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 of struggle. Um, but, but listen, you know, our, our life and our understanding of the life of Jesus as being easy uh, is not helped by certain Christmas carols. Uh, for example, away in a manger. Uh, the second verse begins, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But the little Lord Jesus... No crying he makes. Really? 
because I've had a couple babies. I mean, I haven't birthed a couple babies, but I've, I've, had, I've raised a couple babies. And when they are awakened suddenly, they cry. And I'm pretty sure Jesus did too, right? This idea that like Jesus is like this, 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 this baby that didn't poop. And he never cried. And, and, and he was just like the, the, the perfect teenager, you know? And like all of these things that, that, that we just, we, we misunderstand his life as being easy until the cross. And what does that do for our theology? That means that when we go through a difficult circumstance, we have a, a Messiah who has saved us but can't identify with us. When actually the exact opposite is true. That the part of the beauty of Christmas is that Jesus is familiar with what you're going through. He may not have gone through the exact same circumstance, but whatever emotional response, whatever going on in your heart because of what he because of what you're going through, Jesus also went through. That's the beauty and the power of the incarnation. That's the beauty of Jesus coming humbly as a baby, born in a barn. That's the the beauty of all of this. What we celebrate at Christmas is that we have a Savior, the Messiah, who can identify with you, who has walked through challenge and struggle. Listen, Listen, Jesus seeing the hungry and the thirsty around him right at the very beginning of his ministry is tempted to churn stones into bread in order to feed the hungry around him. But doing so would reveal him as the Messiah at the wrong time. And so his struggle is a struggle between the right thing at the wrong time, which is the wrong thing, or waiting and doing the right thing at the right time. I mean, that's a struggle. Have you ever felt pulled in two directions at the same time? I'll bet you have. Jesus has too. Jesus is not welcomed in his hometown. The people that he grew up with rejected who he had become. You think that was easy? You see, a lot of times when we read the scriptures, because they're written in such a, a, a flying narrative, right? We need to get this guy's uh, life done in 25 chapters, in 12 chapters. We, we miss a lot of the emotional details of the story. But imagine people that you've grown up with, that you, you I mean, your hometown, your, 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 your graduating class, right? And then, and then you, you go back and they just totally reject who you have become, your best friends. And they reject who you are. Jesus is doubted by some, hated by many others. And even his closest followers didn't seem to understand his mission and his ministry. Right? He picks out these 12 guys, and those 12 guys are not very bright. You know, I mean, you read the Gospels, and they're like, can you tell me, Jesus, just one more time, what are we doing here? You know, what's going on? And Jesus, you know, tells a parable, and they say, that's awesome. I didn't get it. Right? Can you tell like can you tell the story from a different angle or like 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 whatever emotional response you have to your situation, Jesus has also walked through that. Because on and on we could go about the life of Jesus and how he's gone through what you and I go through. 
what I want you to realize this morning in the midst of your struggle and in the midst of losing heart is that Jesus' perfect life has way more in common with your life than you think. Yes, he was perfect. Yes, he was sinless. But the circumstances, the feelings, the emotions that he felt were very much like you and I. The problem is is that our emotions are tainted by sin while his were not. You see, what he might feel abandoned in the same way that you and I do or rejected, he does not in that moment turn his heart toward an idol where he would get false companionship like you and I tend to do. But the seed of the same thing is there in the life of Christ. His life has way more in common with you and mine than we think. Here's the point that I want to make. Because what we're talking about is Paul is saying we carry around the death of Jesus in our bodies. Here's the point. When you and I walk through struggles in our life that would lead us to lose heart, it is as if we are joining Jesus in his death. See, Paul takes the death of Jesus, the ultimate struggle, the ultimate rejection, the ultimate, I've done nothing wrong, and yet I take on all kinds of consequence for for nothing that I've done. The ultimate rejection, Paul uses this picture and says, as we struggle and as we go through all these circumstances and as we walk through all these situations and as we minister and are perplexed and, and, and crushed and persecuted and all of these things, we are carrying around the death of Jesus with It's a way of Paul saying we are joining in Jesus' death. Or perhaps the better way of saying it is that Jesus has joined us in our struggle. Are you with me? That's the image that Paul is using. It's this way of uh, uh, Paul's uh, just saying that we're carrying around these struggles. Because when we struggle, when we walk through difficulty, you are joining Jesus at the cross in his Premier struggle. Okay, well, what does that mean? Awesome, because I, I mean, I, I want to join Jesus when he's walking on water, not on the cross, right? I want to join Jesus when he's feeding the 5,000, not bleeding on the cross. Uh, I mean, if there were ever a time to join Jesus, surely the cross would not be it. Well, Paul goes on to say, if we, if we carry on that statement, says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Here's the thing that I want you to hear. Resurrection requires death. You can't have new life if you've never struggled. You can't experience the the risen life of Christ if you haven't died first. And so Paul says, as we walk through this life and we experience all these challenges that would lead us to lose heart, we do not lose heart because we are carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that we might also experience the life of Jesus. Does this make sense at all? Church? Yes? Okay. 
You see, Paul's experience is that in the moments when he finds himself beaten down, discouraged, anxious, crushed, and in trouble, it is precisely there that God meets him and lifts him up to new life. Let me say this to you, church. If you find yourself in a situation where you are losing heart, you are in precisely the right place for God to lift you up. Because resurrection requires death. The climb to a mountain requires you walk through the valley. Paul knows all of this firsthand. But so does another person in Scripture, in biblical history. Because Paul very briefly quotes a psalm that describes the reality that he's talking about and illustrating. You see, in verse 13, he says this, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And then he goes on to say, It is with that same spirit of faith that we also believe and therefore speak. And and, and if you just read that, you're like, that does not make any sense. Right? But that's because he's quoting from a psalm that his audience no doubt would have known, and he certainly knows himself. That when they quote that one line, there's, there's this whole uh, thing underneath it or behind it that they know and realize. So he says, he quotes this one line, there, the audience and himself has the whole psalm in mind. And so he quotes that one line to say, this is kind of like that, right? And, and so it's, when he quotes it, he brings it to mind, and then he says, it is with that same spirit of faith that we also believe and therefore speak. And then he goes on to talk about our eternal hope. Of glory in Christ. So let's turn to Psalm 116 if you want. Uh, I want to read verses 1 through 14, almost the entire psalm, uh, because it describes for us uh, what Paul is pulling back from. He's saying, he's saying, this person also went through this, and I can identify with that. I know what that's like, and I'm illustrating it now to you by talking about this idea of carrying around the death of Jesus so that his risen life might appear up in us. And so this is what it says. Psalm 116, the first few verses. It says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. And the cords of death entangled me. And the anguish of the grave came upon me. And whether that's an actual physical death or whether that's a death of our emotions or the death of our heart, the center of who we are, losing heart, doesn't matter. You want to take it literally? Great. You want to take it as a metaphor? Great. But I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. And the Lord is gracious and he is righteous and our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted, for when I was in need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, and my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted, and in my dismay I said, all men are liars. For how can I repay the Lord for all of his goodness to me? For I will lift the cup of salvation, I will call on the name of the Lord, and I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. 
The, the, the little phrase that Paul quotes is verse 10. I believed, therefore I said. What Paul is, is pulling from is from the psalmist's life, who in the midst of, of feeling like the, the twines of death have entangled him, he remains faithful, calls out to God, who himself is faithful. And so Paul says, quotes this one line, and then says, it is with that same spirit of faith that we now therefore speak. And he calls upon the eternal glory and hope that we have in Christ. Do you see what's happening here? I want to expound on this a little bit more, though. Uh, verses, uh, verses 7 and 8 of the Psalms say this, Be at rest once more, my soul. For the Lord has been good to me. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death. The word for soul is the word nephesh in the Hebrew. The word nephesh is, also, is another word that could very easily be translated as heart. For it also speaks of the center of who we are. Uh, the, the center of our being, the seat of our appetites, motivations, thoughts, desires, all of these things. And so I was looking at different translations, and I found one that translated the nephesh as heart, and I want you to hear it. It says, The Lord looks after the simple. When I was down in the depths, he rescued me. And so, my heart, you can go back to rest. When I was down in the depths, the Lord rescued me. And so now my heart can go back to rest. For the Lord has been very generous to you. For you have rescued my heart from death. And my eyes from tears. And my feet from tripping up. You see, what happens when we're in the situations where we're close to losing heart. Is we're about, if we lose heart, we lose who we are. We lose hope. If everything flows from the heart, then the consequences of losing that are devastating. And so Paul says, not only have I walked through this personally, and not only do I want to share this message with you, church in Corinth, but also there's a whole line of people in biblical history that have have experienced the same thing. Let me remind you of one in Psalm 116. Quote the one line to bring that to the memory of the church. And then he goes on to say that we have this hope in Christ, that Christ was risen and we also will be raised up to new life. God does not promise to keep us from struggle, but he does promise to lift us up so that we can walk through the struggle. His grace rescues us from losing heart because we have great hope. There's, um, this is all very sort of like between you and God so far, right? It's all sort of like, man, when you find yourself down in the depths, God's going to rescue you. He's going to lift you up. If you'll just stay faithful, if you'll call out to him, he is good. He can be trusted. He is gracious. He has the power to lift you up. He's the source of you being able to walk through that struggle. He's going to help you from losing heart. He's going to lift you up. He's going to do all these things. But so far, this feels like sort of a transaction between you and God. I'm down in the depths. God, I call out to you. You rescue me. Boom. Between me and you. Me and you, God, right? But, but, but Paul does something differently where he involves the entire community and who the community is becoming together. When he says in verse 12 of the 2 Corinthians chapter 4 passage, he says, So then, death is at work in us. 
us being him and, and Timothy and his other uh, comrades that are, are all going around planting these churches. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a solo mission, in other words, that Paul was on. He was leading it. He was in charge, but he had some help in his ministry. And so he says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now that's rather unexpected. You would, you would think that Paul would say, here's our experience. When we were down in the depths, when we were crushed and, and perplexed and persecuted and all of these things and walking through all of these circumstances, we experienced the risen life of Christ. We were carrying around the death of Christ in our bodies so that we might experience the life of Christ in our bodies as well. We were down in the depths so that we could be resurrected. We were joining Christ in his death so that we could enter into new life, so that we could be lifted up, risen up, all of these things. You would expect Paul to then go and say, so now you go and experience the same thing. But he doesn't do that. Rather, Paul says, death is at work in us so that life may be at work in you. There is an intimate connection between the experience of Paul and the experience of the churches that he ministers to and that he leads and that he's a part of. Because Paul's not just sitting, he's not just a figurehead up there and it's all about him and the whole ministry is built on his shoulders or his quality of speaking or any of this. Paul is, is among the community. He's one of them. And he's saying, listen, as, as the, the death of Christ is at work in me, the life of Christ is at work in you. Listen, let me put it this way. The purpose of Paul's struggle was not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of of others as the risen life of Christ shows up in him as Christ rescues him from the depths as as the power of Christ works through him and and comes to him it also goes through him and goes out to other people there's this this way of 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 saying that the resurrection and the resurrection life never just comes to somebody it always goes through somebody are you with me that there's a benefit that, I, that that's not just personal, me and God. God, I was down in the depths. You rescued me. Thank you. It's God, I was down in the depths. You rescued me. And now that resurrection life is showing up in the people around me. That's the beauty of the gospel and the power of the community. Because Paul's struggle was not for his own benefit, it was for the benefit of others. In the community of the church, there is an interrelationship between your joy and struggle and my joy and struggle. And that's difficult for us to realize in Western culture because we are so individualistic. Everything in our life basically boils down to a transaction between me and God. And that is not the truth that the Bible talks about there is an interrelationship between your joy and struggle and my joy and struggle in other words when i walk faithfully through a struggle and experience the risen life of christ it isn't just for my benefit but for the benefit of the community and the same is true for you when you walk faithfully through a struggle and you experience the resurrection life of christ those those people around you that you have friendships with that are in this community they begin to realize this person experienced new life in christ and you know what that does that lifts me up 
as well. And, and guess what? When, when you're in the middle of, of struggle and challenge, that, that also I'm walking through that with you. That's the, that's the plan and the outline that God has for his community called the church, that we would share joys, that we would share struggles because there's an interrelationship between the two. When God does something in your life, he's, by, he's also doing something in my life because of what I see him doing in your life. There's this, there's this interrelationship. It's all connected. Listen to this quote that I read uh, from a commentary this week. It says, In troubles and anxieties, we Christians find that God lifts us up uh, over them, if not out of them, and that in our dying with Christ, his risen life shows itself in us, and that as a result, that same life appears in those with whom our lives are involved. That same risen, resurrected life shows up and appears in the lives of those with whom we are involved. Um, when you struggle, uh, struggle takes on a personality of its own in our life. And struggle wants to do two things. Struggle either wants to find other people that are struggling so we can all sulk together. Or struggle wants you to isolate yourself. But the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the community that God is building called the church is that we aren't isolated in our struggle. But seeing others lifted up lifts us up. This is the power of of being able to go to someone and say, you know what, me too. Or I've been there. I've walked through that. And I experienced the resurrection life of Christ, and here's what it looked like in my life. It may not look the same in your life. It may take on a little bit different form, but I promise you, resurrection is possible. That's the beauty and the plan of God's community. Knowing Christ is familiar with our struggle and yet experienced resurrection and new life also gives us new life. In other words, what God intends for his community called the church is expressed and played out perfectly in Christ that it is Christ's struggle and subsequent resurrection that even makes new life for you and I possible or available. Our salvation, our new life would not be possible were it not for Christ's struggle on the cross and subsequent resurrection. And so our lives are made up of cycles of death and new life. And death and new life. Seasons, cycles of struggle and then victory. And as soon as you find victory over that thing, something else will be a struggle. You may, you may feel like you, your, your life is just humming along and you got things going great and everything is going great. And then you're going to lose someone. And that's going to throw you on a tangent. And you're going to struggle through that. God's going to lift you up. You're going to experience resurrection life. And then there'll be something else. Because that's how we experience new life. is through death. Are you with me? Let me close by saying this. Paul ends this passage with some of the greatest words of hope in all of Scripture. Having said all of this, Having drawn this metaphor of joining Christ in his death so that we might also join him in his resurrection, he says, Therefore, 
We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. If you thought that all is lost, that your best days are behind you, and that you've come to the end, there is indeed a surprise waiting for you. Joy is coming. A new day is dawning. A new world is breaking in. This is the hope of Christmas. That as we light the candle of joy, it is not necessarily, it is not only a joy that looks back in thankfulness for what God has done, but it also is a joy that looks forward to what God is going to do. And so, Whatever your struggle is, if I can borrow the term from Psalm 116, your heart can be at rest. In the hope that if you place your faith in Christ, one day your sorrow will be replaced with joy and your loneliness replaced with companionship and your discouragement replaced with courage. And your despair replaced with peace and death swallowed up by life. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.